Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale Of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary And ghosts who are sometimes scary Anything goes by the fireside Yeah Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology. We retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 235 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we begin a new chapter of the podcast uh, to honor and to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company we're going to look at all of the folklore and mythological and legendary origins of some of the most iconic Disney films to trace what they changed what they influenced and what was perhaps lost from the original versions and of course we are going to start at the very beginning I have heard it's a very good place to start with the one that kicked it all off, and this is the story of Snow White. But before we get down to that, if this is your first episode, as I say, this is something a little bit different. We usually focus on Irish and uh, Irish folklore and mythology on this podcast, but this is a good example of what we do it's all the same. And if you enjoy this, why don't you head right back through the ranks and see what we've been building onto the fire side over the last five years. Uh, and if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. All of the usual ways you can support the podcast, you can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. That's the best place to message me, to share this on your stories, share this with your friends. You can uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. And if you want to support me in a more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, my neo-myth of home, my poetry collection that is available in paperback, which can be shipped all around the world, um, or in Kindle version instantly from Amazon. 
All the links are in the description below, as is the link to join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as €5 Euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can not just support Fireside, but gain bon- access to bonus material for Fireside and for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And Headstuff Plus is now growing in features as well, including uh, a new feature where you can choose to go ad-free completely on a podcast app of your choice. So whether you listen to this on Spotify or Apple Music, you can register it through your Headstuff Plus account to listen to Fireside and to all the Headstuff podcasts completely ad-free because ads can be very annoying, like the one I'm doing right now. But those are all the hard sells out of the way. It's lovely to be recording with you again today. I'm recording to you from a hotel in uh, Philadelphia. Um, I'm back over in the city of brotherly love um, working on a new project uh, for something we're trying to bring out to Philadelphia and to tour the US with next year. Uh, There's details of which I cannot give too much of right now but hopefully we'll be able to talk about very soon. But this is my third time in Philly this year. It's a city very very dear to my heart. I love getting my bearings of it. And yes, so it's lovely to be recording. I always like working in hotels as well, because you usually get a very good desk and a nice bit of warmth and quiet. Um, And so the story for this week, I'm also, yes, I'm taking a brief break from rehearsals for Describe the Night, which is a new play that I'm working on that will be on in the Glass Mask Theatre in Dublin from November 20th to December 9th. Uh, i put a link to the tickets in the box below. Anyone who is interested in seeing a communist drama about the rise and fall of the Soviet Union and indeed the rise of the despotic Vladimir Putin, uh, I think it's going to be a really great show. I'm really enjoying working on it. And so anyone who's around Dublin who might be interested in that, there'll be a link in the description below for tickets to that. But with this story now, I suppose it is appropriate me being in America starting this new chapter as it is this month now, the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Walt Disney Company, a company that for all of its um, faults and for all of its criticisms um, has obviously been a massive, massive influence on the entertainment industry and on the Western world and on me personally. And there is no doubt that perhaps I would not have developed my early interest in storytelling and in folklore and mythology were it not for being raised with some of these Disney classics. So because they have been such an influence on the podcast, this felt like a good opportunity to delve into the folklore origins of some of the Disney versions, uh, the Disney films, to see, as I said, what has been changed and adapted, what was lost from the original versions, and to just get more of a an eye-opener as to particularly there is a conception of Disney to have adapted many grim fairy tales and German folk tales, and that isn't actually as true as you might think, and that and a number of other things are going to be some things we're going to talk about and explore. And so we're kicking off with the one that started it all. The Walt Disney Company was founded in the 19, in 1923, 100 years ago this month, by Walt Disney and his brother Roy as the Disney Brothers Company, along with the animator Ub Iwerks, or Iwerks, and but their first feature-length animation, in fact, the first feature-length animated movie in the Western world, was of course Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which has its origins in many cultures, but specifically they were adapting the Brothers Grimm version, which was first collected in the early in the early nineteenth century, 
and we have actually done a version of Snow White years ago on this podcast, all the way back in episode 37 of this podcast, uh, which is now like well, like four and a half, nearly four and a half years ago, uh, which is of a Celtic Scottish version of the Snow White myth, which is the story of Gold Tree and Silver Tree. And so it has been, there has been a version of it, but that has been so long ago that it's now time to explore the possible original story or certainly the most famous version of this story, which is that of Snow White. And we will, of course, chat more afterwards, but here it is, the tale of Snow White on Fireside. Snow White. In the gardens within the castle walls, the queen sat sewing with needle and thread. Feeling the brisk of the winter cold, the distracted queen accidentally pricked her finger with the needle and three drops of blood fell on the freshly fallen snow. The queen saw beauty in the blood red on the perfect white against the black castle walls, and she said, I wish I could have a daughter, with skin as white as snow, lips and cheeks as red as blood, and hair as black as ebony. The queen got her wish, at a heavy price. She gave birth to her dreamed-of daughter, but the queen died in childbirth. The king honoured his wife's wishes by naming the child Snow White. It was not long before the king remarried. His new queen was known to practice sorcery and was in possession of a magic mirror. Every day she would ask this mirror, Magic mirror, who is the most beautiful, the loveliest, the fairest in all the land? And the mirror would reply, Your majesty, no one is as beautiful, as lovely, or as fair as you. Every day this happened, until the young Snow White grew to the age of seven. Even by this young age, Snow White lived up to her name in skin, with red lips and cheeks and ebony black hair. And after her birthday that year, the vain queen asked her mirror the same question. And this time the mirror replied, you are lovely, my queen, but the young princess is even lovelier than you. The queen was jealous, envious, and furious. She already had no love for her husband's child from a previous marriage, and this was more than she could take. The queen summoned a hunter to take the little girl out to the woods and to conveniently lose her. At least the kingdom will think she has been lost, said the queen. But I will want proof from you. I want you to cut out her heart and bring it to me. The huntsman dutifully accepted the queen's brutal proposition. He took the young Snow White out into the woods. He grabbed the little girl by her hand and raised a knife high above her head. 
The distance from the height of the huntsman's knife down to the little Snow White was so great that the princess saw the blade coming. She screamed and cried and begged the huntsman. She dropped to her knees with her head in her hands. The hunter dropped his knife and collapsed and cradled the little girl. He could not do it. But nor could he return the princess to the castle. The queen would have him killed. So the huntsman told Snow White to run into the forest and never return. The hunter knew the child would not survive out there on her own. But at least he would not have done the deed himself. The huntsman then hunted a wild boar and cut out its heart to serve to the bloodthirsty queen. Little Snow White ran into the forest. She had never wandered this far alone, and she tried to stop crying, to not make so much noise. She saw nothing but trees and darkness, until the princess saw something different. The fresh sap dripping from chopped wood. Snow White followed the smell and found a tiny cottage. It looked a perfect size for a little girl. Perhaps more children live here who have run away from home. Snow White approached the cottage. The door was unlocked, but nobody was home. Inside was a table with seven little chairs, with knives, forks, plates, and cups to match. Everything was child-sized, and Snow White felt right at home. She nibbled on what food she could find, before climbing the stairs of the cottage up to the bedroom. Inside were seven child-sized beds, and Snow White tried each one, but only the seventh felt just right. The tired and traumatized little princess was not long falling asleep. Except the cottage was not owned by children. It was owned by seven dwarfs, who made their living mining for gold under the mountain. The dwarfs returned home that night from a long day smashing rocks to see their front door disturbed. We've been robbed, said one. They went in, holding their pickaxes high. Someone's eaten our food. The dwarfs searched for what had been stolen, but apart from nibbled bread and cheese, everything was in place. Slowly the men climbed the stairs. The burglars slept in our beds. The cheek... Wait, boys. One of them is still there. The dwarfs approached the seventh bed and found not a burglar, but a little girl. It's a child. What is she doing here? The poor thing. She must have been lost in the woods. With all the commotion, Snow White woke up and hid under the covers when she saw the dwarfs. It's all right, child. Yeah, we won't hurt you. Snow White told her story to the seven dwarfs, how she had almost been murdered on the orders of her stepmother. That's awful. Well, you'll be safe here. Stay as long as you want, as long as you help out a bit around the house. It was a mutually beneficial arrangement. The dwarfs went to work each day, and Snow White cleaned the house and made the bed and had their dinner waiting for them when they got home. And they lived that way for ten years. It took ten years for the Queen's satisfaction to wear off. A decade older, her vanity returned. 
and the queen once again asked the magic mirror, Who is the loveliest in the land? The mirror said, You are still lovely, my queen, but Snow White is now a grown woman, and is a thousand times more lovely than you. The queen nearly smashed the mirror when she realized the huntsman had tricked her. She decided to take matters into her own hands, and vowed to murder the princess. The mirror told the queen where Snow White was hiding, and so the stepmother disguised herself as an old peddler woman and went to the dwarf's cottage. The men were at work when the old woman knocked on the door. The seventeen-year-old Snow White answered. The queen had to admit she had indeed become a strikingly beautiful young woman. "'Good day, child,' said the disguised queen. "'Such a beauty as you surely would be interested in this beautiful silk dress.' Snow White was enamoured by a garment in the peddler's basket and asked to try it on. The peddler helped the princess into the dress, but when she was pulling the laces of the bodice, she pulled them so tight that the life choked out of Snow White.' "'Not so lovely now, are you?' said the queen to the airless princess on the ground. When the dwarfs got home that night, they saw Snow White. "'She's as pale as a ghost. She's always pale. It's that dress. Cut the lace.' The dwarfs took a knife and cut the lace of the dress. The life returned to Snow White, and the red once again filled her cheeks. "'This is the work of the queen.' You'll have to be careful, dear. Don't open the door to any strangers. It was the next day when the queen learned from the mirror that Snow White was still alive. Disguising herself once again, the queen returned to the cottage and knocked on the door. Through the window, Snow White said, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. I understand, child, but surely you can still look. I have a beautiful comb here for your beautiful hair. Snow White opened the window. The comb was indeed beautiful. My goodness, child, said the old woman. How long has it been since you combed that hair? She reached out with the comb and pulled Snow White's hair hard enough to pull it out. The princess fell to the ground, lifeless once more, with the deadly comb still matted in her ebony hair. That night... The dwarfs found Snow White and saw the comb. It's the queen again. The comb must be poison. Be careful. With a handkerchief, the dwarfs removed the comb and Snow White came back to life. When the queen heard that Snow White had once again evaded death, she knew she had to do something different. A sure thing. An apple. A poisoned apple that would kill from one bite. This time, disguising herself as a farmer's wife, the queen returned to the cottage. Snow White did not even come to the window this time. I can't talk to you, she said. Ah, child, I just wondered if you wanted an apple. I'm fine, thank you. But it's red as your cheeks and delicious. Snow White appeared. How can I trust you? The queen had thought of this. She cut half of the apple off and ate it. This half was not poisoned, and this reassured Snow White, who opened the door and took a bite. The moment the apple passed her lips, the princess dropped dead. 
See how lovely you are when the forest creatures feast on your flesh, laughed the queen. That night, the magic mirror confirmed Snow White's death by telling the queen, You are the most beautiful, loveliest, and fairest in the land. The dwarfs could not revive Snow White this time, but nor could they bring themselves to bury the beauty. So they built a glass coffin and placed it on a mountain top. Each day they took turns to guard the princess. Snow White was never left alone. After a couple of weeks of this, a prince was out hunting and came across the coffin of Snow White. The prince recognized the princess and told the dwarf on duty, The princess should be returned to her castle. She should be buried with her family, her ancestors. The dwarf was reluctant, but gave in to the prince's wishes. Just be careful with her, the dwarf said. Take care of her, like we tried to. The prince ordered his men to carry the glass coffin of Snow White down the mountain. On the road, they tripped on a rock and nearly dropped the coffin. In the process, the poisoned apple dislodged from the throat of Snow White. She had never quite swallowed it. And the princess came back to life. The prince was overjoyed and brought Snow White home, where they soon planned to marry. The queen asked her magic mirror that same question, and the mirror told her, Your Majesty, there is a young queen who is more lovely than you. How could this be? Who was this mysterious new queen? She had to know. So the wicked queen went to the castle, where a wedding was still being held, and realized that the new queen was Snow White. How? the queen wondered. She must kill her now. But the prince recognized the evil queen, and knew of all the harm she had brought to his new bride. So iron shoes were brought over a fire, and burned glowing red. Queen was forced to wear these shoes until she danced herself to death. The end. Drag Race UK is back, and if you are watching and you want to hear some outrageous opinions, some glittering guests, and some piping hot tea, tune in to Sissy That Pod with new episodes every Friday right after the episode airs. Brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Hate me because I listen to Sissy That Pod. And there we have... The all too iconic story of Snow White on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, so for the purposes of this, you know, I'm I'm working on a process that essentially everyone who would listen to this podcast would know the story of Snow White, whether from the Disney movie or if you live in Ireland, the UK, from seeing a panto. Um, but perhaps some of you are unfamiliar with the Brothers Grimm version of this story uh the brothers grimm stories which are famous for 
their brutality compared to our modern sensibilities. And Snow White is a good example, probably not as brutal an example as their version of Cinderella, which we'll be doing next week, um, but of what was really added uh, in the later century in the later century and so to kick things off i love this beginning with the queen uh, who dies and who dreams of having a daughter named snow white because bizarrely and it's probably a total coincidence this is actually an element in the story of deirdre of the sorrows where deirdre wishes to marry a husband with hair as black as raven and skin as pale as snow and lips and cheeks as red as blood. And so Nisha, who becomes the love of Deirdre of the Sorrows in Irish myth, um, has a Snow White origin story, which I remember noticing when we adapted the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows um, all the way back at the end of year one, I believe it was, at Fireside. And so we have a return to this wonderful detail to kick things off. And then most of the story, the story remains the same as the Disney version and in most subsequent versions. You know, the most iconic part is, of course, the magic mirror. And the magic mirror is there in the grim story. And it's the who is the fairest in the land. But the crucial difference uh, is that Snow White is a child. In the Disney version, and indeed most versions, she is portrayed as like a young adult, as a teenager. And particularly her actions in the Disney movie... Um, make a lot less sense when she's an adult because there is very little agency that Snow White has over her own life. And when you think of her as an adult just wandering into a stranger's home and eating their food and, and sleeping in their beds, a lot of that makes a lot more sense when you picture like a little girl uh, who would have no choice in the matter and would just be all impulse and instinct. And it also softens the relationship with the dwarfs who essentially make Snow White their servant. Um, it's that they are taking her in, and Snow White is, is of course, put to work. I mean, there is definitely a reality where they don't make her work at all. But again, it's this idea of this length, this duration. You know, most versions of the story, you picture all of this happening over the course of a couple of weeks, not them living in the woods for 10 years. Although the surprising element is that in those 10 years, the queen never looks in her magic mirror. She seems fully satisfied or terrified to ever ask the magic mirror again in the intermediate time period um, about whether or not she is the fairest in the land. Another crucial difference is, of course, um, the visits of the queen. So in the Disney version, the queen transforms herself into an old woman and she goes with the poisoned apple, the poisoned apple, which is another very iconic aspect of this story. But in the Grimm version, as with most Grimm versions, and we'll see this with Cinderella as well, uh, there are three visitations. There is always a rule of three in folklore. And so we have first the, the, the silk, uh, the dress, and the laces on the dress being tied too tight and choking Snow White to death, which the dwarves are able to save her from. Then we have the poisoned comb. And then finally we have the apple, which rather than being taken a bite of, seems to actually physically choke Snow White rather than succumb to a digestive poison. And speaking of the dwarfs, Disney was not the first person to name the seven dwarfs. They had been named in later literary adaptations and in some stage adaptations. 
but certainly he was the first one to give them the names that we would associate with them now, such as Happy, Sneezy, Duck, Grumpy, Bashful, Dopey, etc. And there is no doubt that the dwarfs have less personality in the Grim Tale. In the version I adapted this from, which I should say is uh, my main focus on this, is of my favorite versions of these stories, which are the Grim Tales for Young and Old adaptation by Philip Pullman, which was one of the big, very foundational influences on this podcast. And Pullman certainly gives a flavor of the personality of each dwarf, which I've tried to do here by giving dialogue to them, even randomly associated, just to have this idea of this cacophony of voices. But getting back to the queen, she does finally successfully poison Snow White. Um, And there we have another crucial change we have still have the same with the glass slipper, but that brings us to the prince. So in most versions of this story, certainly in the Disney version, the prince is established at the beginning, and it was this, that Snow White wants to marry this prince, whereas the prince only appears as essentially a deus ex machina at the end of, at the end of this story. He has no appearance at the beginning. But there is something in this version that I do quite like, and this is an, an aspect where a thing we associate with Disney that didn't as much have a reference in folklore is the true love's kiss there he the prince does not kiss snow white in this version he rather has a slightly more noble um reason to take her corpse away in some versions it is that he just thinks she's so beautiful and just wants to display this this beautiful dead corpse at home but i liked this this idea that he actually wanted to return the princess to her family castle and to bury her with her ancestors. That read more authentically to me. And then we have the very famous change where rather than a true love's first kiss, we have the significantly less romantic resolution to the story of the prince's servants carrying the coffin and tripping up and dislodging the apple from Snow White's throat and that it wasn't that she had been poisoned, but rather that she had been choked. And because she had not swallowed it, she gets to come back to life. And then they decide to get married and live happily ever after. But the one final grim sting, shall we tell you, which is another common aspect in their stories, is that there is a revenge on the evil queen and this wonderful detail of the iron shoes. It does not end with the Snow White living happily ever after but of the queen being forced to wear these red-hot iron shoes and dancing herself to death. And that is a version, that is an addendum to the story that was added in a later edition by the Brothers Grimm that wasn't in their original literary adaptation in 1814, but from a later version. And it is interesting that that is something that they added back in, this, uh, this comeuppance for the queen, which they will return to a lot, a comeuppance for their villains. At times, it seems the Brothers Grimm are less interested in their heroes and more of their villains having consequences for their actions, which is very interesting. And so that is a brief comparison to the two main stories, so from the Brothers Grimm version and the Disney adaptation, which came out in 1937 and obviously changed uh, the movie industry forever and established animation as a new genre uh, that could be taken Seriously, like no one believed that an animated feature-length film would ever work. It was known as Disney's folly. 
Um, no one believed that an animated fo- movie could appeal to adults as well as children. And that is the, the great influence of this movie that came out so long ago. And it is still very, very watchable. Uh, Snow White was one of the movies that I watched a lot when I was a kid. But the movie certainly makes sense as a progression of the short films that Disney would have been making for 15 years at this point with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy uh, because the dwarfs kind of read as, you know, short film characters. And the movie kind of feels more like a series of sketches, which makes sense considering the the loose plot structure of it and Snow White's kind of lack of agency in her own movie because things just kind of keep happening to her. But to compare it to back to the story, the story, it's hard to tell whether or not it's because this story is just so ingrained in the Western mind, but it just seems like so tight. Like there's actually quite a lot of story to this. It was longer than I was expecting it to read um, as... And that comes back to just the simplicity and the clear as water, as Phil Pullman said in this very book, of establishing our character in our mind, this image of our character, establishing our villain, our villain's goal being very pure and simple just to kill her for this very specific vain reason. And this child escaping, living in the woods, and then this queen's progressive endeavor to finally rid herself of Snow White and the comeuppance that that should come. Some of which comes from very folklorific uh, convenience um, and arbitrary perhaps, but it is still a no doubt in my mind why this story endures so much. And I hope this, I hope you did enjoy hearing a different flavor of this story. Is this a story you knew this did you know this version of it do you, are there any other versions of snow white that you like please let me know as always your thoughts um next week we will have another so basically how this will work so snow white came out in 1938 1937 38 and we think of the disney princess formula but it would actually be another 13 years before disney would return to the princess formula because he didn't want to repeat himself. And actually, Disney didn't actually have a hit between Snow White and this next Brothers Grimm adaptation, uh, which actually they, he adapted from a French version of this story. Because we think of what came out in between, which was you know uh, Pinocchio and Dumbo and Fantasia, and then a lot of the movies in World War II, such as Saladus Amigos and the Three Caballeros, ones that aren't really as known or as talked about anymore. Um, but all of those movies were were considered too experimental. Some of them were box office successes, but had been so expensive to make that they weren't financially viable. But then in 1950, Disney, needing to save the company financially, returned to the movie of Cinderella. And that will be what we have next week, which is which I'll be adapting the grim version of, uh, even though Disney adapted from the Perrault, the Charles Perrault French version. But we will talk about both those versions. So follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, a Neomyth of Home. Join at Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.